0: truth of God's Word always demands obedience, and for that obedience, He's provided the Holy Spirit. And therefore, the believer is responsible to the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, but to the Spirit. Paul uses the word debtor. Your translation may simply say obligation, but it is a word that is specific to a debt owed. So you would think of it as being indebted you've been indebted to someone someone did a favor someone did something nice someone bailed you out at some point in your life and you have been forever indebted to that person it's the feeling we often get this time of year when the debts of christmas begin to come due did you know there's actually a name for it i found that out in fact i found out there's actually a formula that's related to it and by putting in this the 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 categories of debt, the time, the season, the weather, putting all that together in this calculation, they come up with typically the third Monday of January as Blue Monday. That's why you felt the way you did this past Monday. It was different than every... You didn't know that? Yeah, it was Blue Monday. That's why it felt that way. Well, this indebtedness is exposed every time someone negatively responds to the gospel. And so they say things like, you know, I'm just not good enough. Or they say things like, I could never measure up. Or they put you off by saying it's just not the right time. In their mind, they have calculated what their life is like, and it's like a blue Monday, and I could never, ever come to what the truth is that you're talking about. And it's holding them back and weighing them down. But my sin, my sin, by it I am indebted to the flesh. By my sin I am trapped under the mound of debt created by the shopping spree of my flesh. By the flesh I am forever trying to pay it back, be good enough. But Christ has paid the debt and I am now forever free. So when Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passing away. Behold, all things are becoming new. Paul is giving to us a new formula by which we can calculate the guilt is gone. Our sins are gone. I can live life renewed because the debt has been erased. I am forever indebted not to my sin, but to the one who paid the debt for my sin, and in particular, the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus said He would now provide me to live this life the way that would please Him. Well, the presence of the Holy Spirit keeps me responsible, obligated, indebted, whatever word you want to use, to obey. The believer is also reinforced by this Holy Spirit there in verse 13. I'm going to read it again, but I'll read it out of the New Living Translation, Romans 8:13. For if you live by the dictates of the sinful flesh, you die. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you live. This reinforces the cooperative nature of obedience in the Christian life. Now again, just to be clear, when you become a Christian, you still have the old nature. That's not going to go away. That's going to be a lingering thing that you're going to deal with from now until you pass into eternity. You still have the old nature. That old nature reinforces sin, but now you have the Holy Spirit. And by the Holy Spirit, you can mortify, you can crucify, you can put to death the sins and deeds of the flesh. It's simple, really. There's a lifestyle that reinforces death. And we're not talking about losing salvation. But as a believer, there is a lifestyle that reinforces the death from which you have been set free. And as a believer, you now have the option and the opportunity by way of the Holy Spirit that you can now live a life that reinforces what Christ has given you. Thinking backwards, yes, without the Holy Spirit, we learned last week, you're not saved. That's an identifying mark of the believer. Without the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. And if you're not saved, you will be eternally separated from God. That's eternal death. That isn't this death we're talking about here. For the believer, at any moment, you can either be slaying sin in your life or the death of sin, the, the, the debt of it that just comes back and haunts us will begin to ruin every other good intention you have in your life. You don't become unsaved. But sin always creates separation from God. You know this, Psalm 66. If I regard iniquity, sin, those thoughts, if I regard iniquity in my heart, what does it say? The Lord will not hear me. So sin in my life, even as a believer, will separate me in my fellowship from God. As was engraved on my sister's Bible, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. You can choose to live either way you want. There is a lifestyle that leads to greater life and joy and peace and happiness. Or there's a lifestyle as a believer that will suck all the joy you have left out of your life. But notice Galatians 5, here he talks about mortify. Galatians 5, I use another verse. This crucifixion, Galatians 5 says, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections thereof. So verse 13, the word mortify. Paul uses in other places the word crucify. First of all, think about this crucifixion, this mortify, putting to death the flesh. First thing I want you to remember is it is painful. And that probably goes without saying. We're coming up in a few months to the Easter season. You've seen the scenes of a crucifixion. It is painful. And changing those desires that continue to separate you in your fellowship from God might be painful. For some of you, it's a habit. And I've, I've, witnessed, I've witnessed people to set down a habit and they say, God has delivered me from that, and they never pick it up again. It's amazing. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we struggle with that in our life. It could be something you've avoided now far too long, and it's time you face it. It will be painful to face that thing that keeps separating you in your fellowship from God. It could even be a relationship that has now entangled your heart. And it's difficult when you get into those emotional things and you have to untangle those things of your heart that separate you from God. Don't be dismissive. Don't tell me it's different in your circumstance. Simply answer this one question about that habit, about that thing, about that relationship. Does it bring you closer to God? Or has it gotten in the way of your relationship with God? You have your answer. Don't have to preach a sermon about it. You have the Holy Spirit, and He's answering it in your heart right now. Crucifixion of the flesh is painful, but also think about it. It's not something you can do to yourself. Think about it. You know it's painful, but it's not something that you can do to yourself. You might get one hand down, but the other one, how are you going to do it? You can't do it to yourself, which is to say by yourself, you need someone. That's the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit now to help you in mortifying, crucifying, putting to death these works of the flesh. The changes you now know you need to make cannot be accomplished by your own best effort. And so we come back to the Holy Spirit. It reinforces the necessary changes that you know you need to make in your life right now. The Holy Spirit makes us personally responsible to obey. The Holy Spirit reinforces the effort to change. And the believer is ruled or led, verse 14, by the Holy Spirit along the way. For as many as are led by the Spirit, that's literally to be ruled by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. So when you hear somebody talk about having... The Lord Jesus on the throne of your heart. You hear that kind of phrase? What we're talking about is having the Holy Spirit, who now indwells you as a believer, to rule over the affairs of your life, making your decisions. In general, before I was saved, without the Holy Spirit, I was governed by law and the guilt of my failure and living in pursuit of my own desires. That's the only thing that we knew before Christ. Now I'm governed Not by law, but by love. I'm not weighed down by guilt. I'm forgiven by grace of my Heavenly Father. In general, that's the truth of this guiding principle of the Holy Spirit. But in specific, how many times have I been asked this question in the circumstance of somebody's life? How do I know God's will for my life, you ever asked yourself? I hope you've asked yourself that question. How do I know in this circumstance? Maybe when you were younger, or even now, in something you're facing, how do I know God's will for my life? Simply put, the Holy Spirit will lead you, and the Holy Spirit will let you know if you're going in the right direction or not. I'm not going to be there with you every moment. Your parents won't be there every moment. For some of you, you're the last one of your generation. How are you going to know? The Holy Spirit in you right now can encourage you in this thing or, or help you know this is not the direction or the thing you need to be involved in. But along the way, you've got to give him something to work with. Now, By that, I mean it's like taking an exam. And I know I've been there, and maybe you were too. I was a believer as a teenager. So, you know, you go into an exam, and you're like, oh, man, I didn't have time to, to study. Lord, can you help me? You know, you cannot not study, and then go into the exam and say, God, help me, and think that the answers are going to miraculously appear on the blank page. My friend, life is your exam. And if you haven't studied God's Word, if you don't enjoy spending time with God's people, if you never spend time in prayer, You cannot now cry out to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? And expect the answer to appear on a blank page. Like when I was working on my MBA, and I have to admit, I am not a math whiz. I I fess up to that right off the bat. But I always appreciated the professor. When we're working on statistics or some crazy thing that I was totally lost in, he would always say this, show me your work. And if I would show him the work, I might get some of that much-needed credit on my exam. And you know the other thing that it did? It made it easier for him to tell me where I went wrong. My dear friend, you got to put some work into it. you got to spend time in the Bible, God's Word, with God's people, in fellowship, and prayer. Because if you don't, it's going to be that much more difficult... For God to get your attention, to be able to explain to you what it is you've done wrong and where you need to change. How can you ever expect to be pointed in the right direction if you don't bother to put in the effort? And I like Psalm 32, which says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. If you're not looking at the Lord, will you even know if he's speaking? We got to put in the work. We got to pay attention. We got to be where we know God can help and lead and guide us. The believer is responsible to the Holy Spirit. Your efforts are reinforced by the Holy Spirit. Along the way, your heart is ruled by the Holy Spirit, and the believer is released from bondage. That by way of the Holy Spirit, verse 15. Now, if you have not received the Spirit, or you have not received the Spirit of bondage, again, to fear. That's what you've been delivered from. That's where you lived without the Lord Jesus Christ, without the Holy Spirit. But you have received the spirit of a beautiful, beautiful term. The spirit of what? Adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, dear Heavenly Father. Now, in general, before I was saved and without the Holy Spirit, I was governed by the law and the guilt of my latest failure, living in pursuit of my own desires. But now I am free from all of that, and this bondage is no longer again to the sin and failure of my life and fear that I might fail at any moment and be out of favor with God. It's the fear that every world religion keeps you coming back to. Every world religion, outside of what we preach in the gospel, keeps you coming back because they leave you in fear that at any moment you might fall out of favor with their image of who God is. Law demands, grace gives. Law says do, grace says believe. Law exacts, grace bestows. Law says work, grace says rest. Law threatens, pronouncing a curse. Grace entreats, pronouncing a blessing. Law says do, and thou shalt live, Grace says, live and thou shalt do. Law condemns the best man. Grace saves the worst man. Notice how Paul describes this new relationship we have, first with this word adoption. Adoption means to be placed as a a son, a daughter, a child. Adoption receives a child from other parents, places them into your family, raises them as your own, disciplines them as a child. But the child is never living in fear that they might be kicked out of the family if they don't obey. Likewise, the Holy Spirit releases me from the bondage of Satan's grip. I'm no longer in his family. I'm no longer ruled and governed, living in fear of him. I'm now a child of God. The Holy Spirit convicts me of sin when it's necessary clothes me in righteousness, equips me for his pleasure, and promises never to leave me nor forsake me, the verse you gave earlier. In recognition of this new relationship, notice Paul's term then. We're adopted. And as a result of being adopted, notice his term here. This term is first heard from the lips of Jesus, and that's where they learned it, when he taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And you know that prayer. It's a tender term. It's not so much formal as it is personal. For example, and I use this guardedly, my wife, she has a lot of things she may call me. I won't ask her to say many of them, but she could call me husband, and that would identify our relationship. Lena or Alyssa, they could call me Dad. That identifies our relationship. They have some other words for me too. But uh, Daniel, Daniel could call me Papa. That identifies our relationship. Some of you might call me Pastor, and I personally, I, that's a wonderful term. But that identifies not just you know what I'm doing here as a preacher. I'm a pastor. It identifies a relationship now that we have together an endearing term that identifies a relationship in the same way you might begin your prayer, Dear Heavenly Father. You're identifying your relationship to the Almighty God. See, before Jesus, think back to the Old Testament. Before Jesus, no one would ever have thought of addressing God with such an informal term as Father, But it's the term Jesus always used, and it's the term Jesus used to instruct us in prayer. It is a term that comes with the assumption of His tender, loving care. It's a term of confidence that He will always respond to my prayer. A new relationship made personal now by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Released from the bondage of sin, ruled in my heart, reinforced in my effort, responsible to obey And the believer is reassured by the Holy Spirit in verse 16. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So much more could be said about that. But every time you pray down in verse 26, we'll come to it another time when the Spirit is interceding on our behalf. But so much could be said. This is is an affirming voice. That when you pray, the Holy Spirit is there praying with you, speaking. This is the voice of reassurance that we have the right to enter into the throne room of the Almighty God and speak to Him as Father. In Adoption, verse 15, there's always a voice of witness affirming, that's verse 16. This is not a mysterious, don't let somebody take this verse out of context. This is not a mysterious confirmation of some new revelation that somebody says they had after eating a burrito or some night of insomnia or something like that. This is not that. This is confirmation or reassurance that as Solomon wrote in in Song of Solomon chapter 2, My beloved is mine, and I am his. That's what this witness is confirming. It's the assurance of my salvation. It's the fellowship we have as believers. It's the comfort that comes in the moment of my affliction. It's the time you had when some scripture that you've read before, you've heard it before, but in this circumstance, at that moment it seems to leap off the page. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit. When some prayer seems to speak to your heart, that's the Holy Spirit. Some interaction that you have with another believer brings some encouragement in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit. Or a still, small voice that ministers to you in your time of need. You're all alone, no one else, and something seems to come to your heart and give you some encouragement, that's the Holy Spirit. These are moments of reassurance brought to you by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Later in a couple weeks, I mentioned down in verse 26, the intercessory work of the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, I have been released from my bondage. I have been ruled now, or I am ruled now in my heart. Every effort I put forward is reinforced by the Holy Spirit. I'm reassured now in my heart that I'm a child of God. And finally this morning, the believer is rewarded. Verse 17. So if you are a child, then you're an heir. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together with Him. Now, the only condition of this verse is if you're a child of God. And since I'll make that assumption, since you are a child of God, you can assume two things. The first one is unpleasant. Present suffering. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So you're going to suffer in this present ungodly world. But the second part, future glory. And I'll take those two and make a summary statement. May I just begin with saying that at the time of our future glory, we will likely wish we had suffered a little more. At the time of our future glory, we will likely wish we had suffered a little more. Anytime you avoid suffering related to following after God, you're not only robbing God of His glory in this life, you are letting go of any potential future glory that you might have otherwise had. It could be something as dramatic as the young person who says, I refuse to be a missionary. I don't know, but sometimes there there are these decisions that come to us in life, and at some point in your life you may have said, I'm not going to do that. It could be something that dramatic and as a result, you'll never have the future glory of that. It could be something much less dramatic, much more personal. Maybe just a moment with a neighbor that you had the opportunity to give a witness for the Lord and you just, you just felt like it was too awkward. It was too aggressive. It's too judgmental for you to say there's only one way for you to get to heaven and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. It could be something personal that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about, something you assume no one else will ever know. Somehow it doesn't apply in your situation. It could be something that the circumstances of life have now somehow made you feel like you are exempt from obedience because the circumstances get beyond us. They get beyond our control. And so we say, you know what? We start to rationalize with the world. Wouldn't God want me to be happy? So we do it. We just brush it aside. Let me be clear. I'm not looking for trouble, and I'm not asking you to be ignorant (laughs) believers where you just offend everybody. That's, That's just silly. That's not my point. But if in my association with the Lord Jesus Christ the opportunity presents itself, I will let Christ suffer. It's not you. It's not about you. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same admonition of Christ when Peter said that he would never let Christ suffer. Remember that conversation? Peter said, I'll never let you suffer. And the Lord Jesus turns and says to him, get thee behind me, Satan. And he says these things aren't of the Father, they're of the flesh. Just be careful that you don't equate some loss of lifestyle as an American, because we're so blessed and somehow we don't get to do what we're always comfortable doing, don't equate some loss of lifestyle with persecution for Christ. For example, and I use this one all the time, and I think the envelopes were just given to you for your year's giving. What if the church was no longer able to provide a tax-exempt statement for your giving? Would you still give? Would you give grudgingly? Remembering the Lord loves what? A cheerful giver. There is no more or less reward in heaven for tax-deductible gifts. That's a lifestyle issue, and I'm glad we have it. But it's not a biblical issue. And how many times I've heard strong statements made about some issue of life until that issue affects your own family. then suddenly you're silent. Why is that? Well, we reinterpret the biblical application because, well, you know, Pastor, in today's world, you know, it's just kind of the way everything is. And so we kind of go down that road of rationalizing away the truth. Every time we compromise God's word, to fit our circumstance. Remember last week, we talked about looking at God's Word through our circumstances? No, we look at our circumstances through the Word of God. But every time we compromise God's Word because of our circumstance, every time we adjust what we always thought we knew it said because of now life has hit us in the face, every time we rationalize, alter the Word of God, we're not only robbing God of His glory. We're losing all future glory we might have had in that regard. Now, whatever you're facing right now, I don't know what it may be. I doubt that it's going to be on the level of the saints in the early church. I don't think your glory is going to be the same as the prophets of the Old Testament. As one theologian said, if that were the case, I feel like I would forever be apologizing for all of eternity to think that I would receive the same as they. There are levels of reward, measures in heaven, as God meets that out in glory. By the Holy Spirit, I have been released from the bondage of my sin. I am now ruled in my heart reinforced in my effort, reassured in my spirit, responsible to obey, and will be rewarded in eternal glory. My dear friend, there's only one reason you continue to suffer with that circumstance, or you have so many regrets in that relationship, or you're haunted by that habit, or you just can't find your way in life. One of two things. Either you're not a believer or you have failed to obey at some point. Everything you need to do, God provides the way. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you living a lifestyle in pursuit of death or are you living a lifestyle in pursuit of life? I didn't say it would be quick. I didn't say it would be easy, and I didn't suggest that it would be particularly fair in this life, but as the hymn writer put it, when by His grace I shall look on His face, that will be glory, be glory for me. Let's pray.